We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Um, Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Amen. Well, thank you, Chris, for sharing the word of the Lord with us this morning. If, you're, if this is your first time to Hillcrest, it's not always that this strange here. You know, we don't always, we're not always voting on something. In fact, that's a rare thing. So you happen to come on a very unique Sunday. Um, but we're so glad you're here with us. If it's your first time, welcome. I hope that you really enjoy your, your uh, are enjoying and then um, really get something out of this and that God has something for you today. If you're joining us online, uh, big hello to our church family. Can we give a big applause to the people who are joining us online? Let's just, yeah. <laughs> we do that by faith because you can't always know how many people are joining you online, but uh, we do really want to um, welcome you if you're part of our online church family today. So we're going through the book of Romans, and if you were to pick a theme verse or two for the book of Romans, you'd probably pick Romans 1, 16 to 17, and I'll just read them to you here. Um, It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So we learned that it's the power of God. It is mighty and it brings salvation. So it's mighty and it's merciful and it is for everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the word gospel means good news. And the gospel of the good news about Jesus Christ, it is good news, especially because the human situation is, the human situation with God is such bad news. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 and even in chapter 3. He spends a long time on the bad news so that we can see the good news in contrast to it. And I've thought about this, how the bad news of our guilt before God is sometimes not really apparent to us. Not really apparent to us. It's, it's like we need, a, we need a revelation of where we stand before God so that the good news shines in all of its splendor. And so I thought of a couple ways to do this. One would be just if we could just record every action in our lives and then have a highlight reel of all the bad stuff. Or maybe all your thoughts would be recorded, or all your words would be recorded by audio. And then at the end, you know, you could just have a play-by-play of all the, all the stuff that wasn't good. But, you know, the Bible goes deeper than that in its assessment of people. It goes to thoughts and motives and desires. And if you really went to that level... I mean, there's a lot of stuff we filter out. There's a lot of stuff we don't say. And there's a lot of stuff we don't act on. 
But Jesus was, he saw, he went after those things and he said, you know, it's, it's your anger in your heart, it's your hatred in your heart, it's your lust in your heart. Yeah, you haven't expressed it in murder or adultery, but you are, but in your heart, you desire those outcomes. There's things in society that prevent you from walking it out, but those things are there. Uh, I thought, I was just thinking, it could be like this. How do we get, how do we get a, a sense of how we stand before God? I want you to imagine you grew up in a really dysfunctional family. Some of you are already saying, I don't have to imagine that. <laughs> okay. Like, really, so like, you grow up in this really dysfunctional family, and then you, you grow up, you become a young adult, you go out into the world, and you discover that you just don't play well with others because you learned all these things growing up that they just don't, they're not good in how you interact with people. And so let's say you come back to your family of origin, and you say to your mom and dad, and you say, you know what? We're, things are not right in our family. Like, something, things are really not right. I wonder how this all began. I mean, can you tell us our family history? And then just imagine your mom and dad say this. Well, oh, yeah, well, we moved to this community. We had nothing. And then this family took us in. They took us into, into their home. In fact, it was this house. They took us into this house. And, 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 they, and, they, and you see all the land around us, all the land? They, they taught us how to work on this land and to tend it and take care of it. And they taught us skills because we knew nothing. And, and, and they nurtured us and they cared for us. And, they, and they, they really just provided everything we needed to have a healthy and good life in this community. And you're like, well, this is a wonderful beginning to our life. This is amazing. They said, so... What happened? Did we buy the house from these people? Did we buy the land from this family that once was here? And your parents say, no, we killed them and we buried them in the backyard. Oh, we're that family. What happened? You say, well, we did. well along the way we realized that we didn't really love these people who are caring for us. We didn't really care about them, but we did like all the stuff they were giving us. And so we thought this was a fair trade. We'd get rid of them and we'd, keep, we'd get rid of the benefactors and we'd keep all the benefits. Now, I'm telling you a shockingly disturbing story. I'm sorry if that was a little bit too bold, bold for you guys. But I think we don't get it, our standing before God. I was telling, uh, just uh, was a week and a half ago, we had a banquet here and Charlotte's Catering made Indian food for the Indian community. And so 30 Indian uh, students, most of them from Syast, uh, filled up our fellowship hall. And then we had about 15 Hillcresters come out. We had a wonderful time together. And at that meal, I told the story of the prodigal son. I said, well, you know, I didn't know where they were all. Many of them would be Hindu, ba- Hindu background. And some of them might have grown up in a more Christianized part of India or different things. But I said, I want to tell you a story Jesus told. I told them the story of the prodigal son. When I got to the parts about the son who tells his father, I don't want to wait till you die. I want my share of the inheritance now. I could see on their faces that they understood how shameful this was, how dishonoring this was, how shocking it was for the son to do that. And it hit me. I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks now, or a week and a half. It hit me. In their culture, which is a more communal culture than us, there are much clearer lines of what is shameful and what is dishonoring and what is honoring and what is good. But we live in an individualized culture where everyone sort of, you know, we, make our, we all make our own rules. 
I'm here to live my best life now. So who's to say that, you know, if I just live for me, that that's the wrong thing to do? But for them, they, I, see, I saw that they were understanding it. They were getting it. They were understanding that we have done dishonorably in our relationship with God as humanity. Humanity is that shocking family when it comes to God. We see evidence of brokenness in our world caused by us. I mean, we couldn't miss the news this week. That school shooting in Texas shocked us again. We've had that kind of story in the news again and again and again, but I think it just had a fresh reality to us this week that there is evil, there is darkness in the world. We see nations going to war. We see greed. We see injustice, and we wonder, how did we get here? And we got here because instead of giving God thanks and honor for creating us, we rejected our creator, and we started worshiping the things he provided. We started worshiping the created things, and we even shaped created things that we could worship. And so he gave us over to that. He gave us over, and our hearts became darkened, and our thoughts became futile, and we were given over to shameful lusts. So sin is our track record, but it's not just our track record. It's a power at work within us. And we need salvation from the guilt of our sin. And in Romans, Paul says that there's a judgment coming. There's a day of judgment coming. And in that day, will the wrath of God be poured out on us? We need salvation from our sin and from the wrath of God. So how can this happen? How can sinners like us, who've trampled the glory of God in the dirt through our indifference towards God or through our rebellion towards God, how can we be saved? And this is the good news we find in the book of Romans, that we can be made right with God through faith. Now, how does that work? Well, Paul takes several chapters in the book of Romans just to explain basically this concept, being saved through faith, which we find in I've already read to you in, in uh, chapter 117. He takes several uh, chapters. In chapter 4, Romans 4, where we're at now, he uses characters from the Old Testament to make it clear. And the first one he starts with is Abraham. So Romans 4.1. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what did Abraham believe God about? Or what did Abraham believe about God? What was this thing that Abraham believed? Well, you got to go back to Genesis chapter 15. And so here's Abraham. The word of the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision and says, don't be afraid, Abram. I, I am your shield. I'm your very great reward. And then Abraham brings up the issue. He says, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you've given me so, no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. In verse 5, he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, 
so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed. When God said, yes, you don't have a son, but you will have a son of your own flesh and blood, even though you are old, even though your wife is old, even though it doesn't make much sense mathematically for you to have children at this age, you will have a son, and your offspring will be as numerous as the, sky, as the stars in the sky. And what did Abraham do? He believed. He believed what God said, that he would have many descendants, even though he didn't have a child of his own yet. So what Paul is doing in Romans is he's using the, the Old Testament scriptures and some of its well-known characters to demonstrate that becoming right with God was always through faith. It was always by God's grace through faith. Righteousness by faith or becoming right with God by trusting in what he does has always been God's plan, even in the Old Testament. I mean, have you ever wondered that question? Have you ever thought like, okay, so I'm pretty sure now if I want to become uh, right with God, I've got to trust, I've got to look back to the past 2,000 years ago on what Jesus did on the cross in Jerusalem for me, right? I got to look back on that. I got to look back and trust in that, that that's sufficient for me to be made right with God. But what did people do before that? Jesus hadn't come. What did people like Abraham do? And so we find that they were made right by a very similar process, except for they weren't looking backwards, they were looking forwards. Because God had made different promises about what was yet to come. There's lots of insight in the Old Testament about the Messiah who was to come, the one who would uh, be a king in the lineage of David. Uh, even when Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, when sin entered the world, when they were out being uh, expelled from the garden, there was a promise made that there was one who would come and that he would crush the head of the serpent. And it was a, these, all these things are foreshadowing. Even the, the uh, sacrificial system that the Israelites uh, had about the spotless lamb that, and, and all these ones that these were a, a substitute for them and they were a sacrifice for their sins. They were pointing forward. They were pointing forward to what they couldn't see yet. So what they couldn't name yet, they were pointing forward. And so we look back in faith and trust God in what he's done. They looked forward in faith and trusted God for what he would yet do, even though they didn't have all the details. They had God's promises, and they believed. They believed. In fact, Galatians 3, 7 to 9 says something, I think, just amazing. It says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Okay, pause there. Pause there. Children of Abraham. Everyone who has faith in God for their salvation, they... They have, they're children of Abraham. So he said, your offspring are going to be like the stars of the sky. You're going to have so many offspring. And so you say, well, actually, he did have a kid, Isaac, and then lots of descendants out of that, and now there's the nation of Israel. That's a lot of offspring. I don't know, what is that, like 20, 30 million? Or maybe around the world, the Jewish population is more like 50 million? I, I'm just taking some guesses. That's not his offspring in total. His offspring is everybody who has faith like Abraham. Well, I mean, I checked the stats recently. 
just the last one I saw was 2.4 billion people claim to be Christians. I wouldn't say that all of them necessarily have faith like Abraham or like is being described in the book of Romans, but there's a lot of people who've come to that conclusion that, that this is the way to God, whether they really have saving faith or not. That's a lot of offspring, more than 50 million Jews, 2.4 billion. So did God keep his promise to Abraham? I think he did a pretty good job. Can you imagine? This guy wandering around Mesopotamia, God speaks to him. You're going to be known. How? Well, I'm going to give you a lot of offspring. Really? How? And God did an amazing thing. So those who are faith are children of Abraham. And Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. By the way, that's us. Unless you're Jewish here today, you're a Gentile. That's what a Gentile is, not a Jew, right? So this is about us. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. This is incredible. The gospel was announced in advance. So did he all know that Jesus was going to die on a cross? No, he didn't know that. So what was the gospel that he received in advance? Here it is. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All nations will be blessed through you. So what did this gospel in advance sound like? That's what it sounded like. Again, back to Genesis to find it. It said, the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Uh, His name is great. Like, let me give you a little bit more math. 2.4 billion who call call themselves Christians. 1.9 billion who call themselves, or or who are, uh, follow Islam. And then you've got about, whatever, 50 million Jews or something like that. So, 55% of the world population is an adherent to one of the Abrahamic religions. 55% of the globe's population try to trace their spiritual lineage to Abraham. Talk about making your name great. That's really significant. He is honored by over half of the world today. Just some guy wandering Mesopotamia who, who knew that he'd even be remembered by anybody. But God told him he would be. He said he was going to make his name great, and Abraham's name has become great and is revered by many, many people. So I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's that line again. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So here again, God is speaking about the coming of Jesus in advance. Do we have all the details? Do we know the name of Jesus? Do we know the cross? No, we don't know those things. But God was going to bless the world through Abraham's descendants. And it's not that, he was going, that the Jewish people were going to be all of that. It's that Jesus was going to be all of that. He was going to come into the world as a descendant of Abraham. So Abraham heard many things. Your descendants will be numerous. 
You'll be a father of many nations. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And what did Abraham do? He believed. He believed. He trusted God in these things. And that's what made him righteous. Now, there's evidence that he believed. The evidence that he believed is he obeyed, right? He was to leave his people and go to a nation God was going to show him. The promised land yet to come. And he went. So there's evidence that he believed. But that going didn't save him. He wasn't saved by his works. The basis of his salvation was his belief, was his trust, was his faith in what God had said and who God was. And back to Romans in verse uh, 4 of chapter 4, it says, Now to the one who works, because here's these two things that are held in contrast, works and faith. Are you saved by your works and your deeds, or are you saved by your faith? Romans 4.4, 4, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So imagine your boss comes to you after a hard week of work and says, I have a gift for you, your paycheck. You'd say, that's not a gift. I earned that. Right? Well, this is what the Bible's agreeing with. However, however, When it comes to being made right with God, things are a little different. This is what it says in verse 5. However, the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So everywhere else in life, you say, I earned it. I earned it. I did it. I put in the hours and the sweat equity. But in this area, you can't say this because you can't earn this. See, we are ungodly and can't make ourselves godly. And so it's not our work that's going to accomplish this. It's our faith credited as righteousness as we believe God. Now, Paul has brought Abraham into the picture, and he's he's speaking again. Remember, the church in Rome was... Part of it was Jews who had the law, and, that's, and then there was Gentiles who didn't grow up with the law, and there's lots of friction here. Uh, one of the pieces of friction was that the Jews really thought, hey, these Gentiles, if they're going to be part of what we've been a part of already, they should do the stuff we're doing. In fact, they should probably get circumcised like we are to signify that they're followers of Jesus, and that became a, a big You can imagine how exciting that would be to find out, I'm following Jesus, it's exciting. Well, you need to go through this operation. What kind of operation? Well, it happens down there. Oh, I'm not excited about this as much anymore, (laughs) right? So this was the thing. Circumcision was an issue and the thing that they're arguing about. So Paul is bringing another Old Testament figure into the mix, and that's David, another hero of the Jewish people. David was a shepherd, most famous story probably about David is David and Goliath. He was a giant slayer. And he was the first, uh, well, no, he was the second king of Israel, but he was the king that people look back to. Saul, the first king, had a bad end to his reign. But Saul, I mean, David, David had a, a better reputation. He was known as a man after God's own heart. Even though 
his track, track record wasn't that great either. He ended up uh, murdering a guy so he could get his wife. So murderer and an adulterer were also part of who he was. But, I mean, I remember growing up in Sunday school, David was the hero. I mean, because he had mighty men. They had their own track record of doing great things. I mean, the best battles were around that time, it seemed like. And David was the man, right? So he's a hero of Sunday school boys everywhere. Girls, I don't know if they were as, as enamored, but there is a Michelangelo sculpture I hear they like. I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not sure what girls are into. <laughs> Too far. I'll pull it back. All right. <laughs> so David, he brings David into the picture. And here he is. Here he is. What did David say about being saved by faith? Did David say anything about that? <laughs> you can just keep laughing. When you're done, just put your hands on her and pray for her. She'll get through this service. All right. I'm sorry. That's my fault, truly. Here we go. David says, verse 6, says, David said the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David says the same thing, is what Paul's saying. And then it goes on to say this. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now, sometimes we interpret blessed as happy. And that's, you know, that's sort of partly true, right? But I don't think blessed is happy the way we think of as happy. Because often we think of happy being tied to circumstances. How are you doing today? I'm so happy because I got the job. I'm so happy because I'm going on a vacation. I'm so happy because I've had a good week. You know, I'm so happy because of circumstances. Blessed is probably not our modern-day equivalent to how we think of the word happy. Um, But blessed is much deeper than that. So blessed in verse 6, 7, and 8, right? Blessed is the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now, the probably most blessed Dense, densely blessed, rich passage in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Beatitudes. It's like Jesus is just beginning the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, blessed are the poor. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are, you know, and he has all these different things that he's talking about. Blessed, blessed. And at the end, he says this one. He says, blessed are you when you've had a great week. No, blessed are you When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, we maybe have to think a little bit what blessed, blessed in this context, at least in Matthew, and, and probably linked to what we're already looking at in, in Romans, what it can't mean. Blessed probably does not mean untroubled, or it doesn't fit this verse. Blessed probably doesn't even mean that you're healthy physically. 
Blessed is probably something a little bit different than being admired. Clearly, you're not being admired when people insult you and say all kinds of evil about you. That's not admiration. And you may not, it may not mean anything about financial prosperity in this context. Now, can God heal you? Yes. Can God bring uh, financial prosperity into your life? Yes. In fact, many of you would say, I think God has blessed us in this area, in one of those areas. And you're thankful for it. You don't, you don't skip a beat. You do thank God for it because you realize many don't have what you have. And so you, hopefully you do live in gratitude and praise towards God for what he's given you. But in this context, it's saying, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. God is looking to bless you through the gospel. When you have righteousness through faith, it means that like God, the blessing of God means that between you and God, all is well. Between you and him, all is well. And God is after your profound joy. He, he wants you to have profound joy in your life. He wants you to have a deep contentment in the gospel. A deep contentment in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. He wants that to be your reality. I don't want us, but, I, but he doesn't want us to lose the forest for the trees. This good news is meant to be there when we're burdened. And it's meant to lift burdens. It's meant to uh, affect our emotions. It's meant to bring joy. It's meant to make us strong. You know, Nehemiah said, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So this blessedness, it's, it's something deeper it's something more foundational than how your week's going. Whether the bank account looks right. Or whether the doctor's report is the way you wanted it to go. Or whether the response you get from other people is the one you wanted. It's deeper than that. It's more, it's more, it's more foundational than that. He said this blessedness is about you and God having things well between you and him. But how can we have it? How can we have it? See, we need righteousness to be acceptable to God, but what we have is sin. What God has is righteousness, and what we have is sin. So God has what I need, and I have what he hates. So how could I be loved by God? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is the Son of God who died in our place. God laid my sins on Jesus, and he punished my sins in him. And he lays his righteousness on me. And this is the good news. This is the gospel. It's all about Jesus. You know, you can't think about Jesus too much. I mean, you can't thank Jesus too much. You can't praise Jesus too much. This is all about Jesus. You know what? That, you know that old song? Blessed assurance, my week's going well. No, wait. It's blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.
You know what? There's lots of people through church history who had these sort of epiphany moments, like the light bulb went on in this area when they read the book of Romans. Like Martin Luther, when he read the book of Romans, light bulb went on. Uh, John Bunyan read the book of Romans, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. The light bulb went on. And it, I mean, and this was like, this filled them with joy. And you know what the, the thought was that they had that filled them with joy? Is that it is not my righteousness that I'm depending on. It's not my works. It's not my performance. And why did that fill them with joy? Because they knew themselves. They knew themselves. They knew that some days they would feel like they're rocking it for God. And then other days they realized how much the stain of sin was deeply embedded in their hearts and their lives. They realized how broken they were because of the fall. They realized that man's rebellion against God had not just been something Adam and Eve participated in that we're all infected by, and that the power of sin was alive and well in the day and age that they lived in. And so if their hope was going to be on their own righteousness, they despaired of hope. But when they read Romans and when they found out for themselves that their hope was not based on their own righteousness, but their hope was based on what Christ had done, they rejoiced. They got so excited. They wrote some of their most hope-filled, extravagant writing because they realized it's not dependent on me. I'm up, I'm down, I'm hot, I'm cold. I do well one day and the next day I do dastardly. And, but God's righteousness is a constant. He is always righteous. What Jesus did, Jesus was sinless. He was the perfect sacrifice. He could, he could take my sin on him on the cross because he was a sinless sacrifice. And so it gave them joy in circumstances. It gave them joy when things were difficult. You know, sometimes... I think people, I know this is true for all of us. Even if you've been a Christian for many years, you'll probably acknowledge this is true for you, is that we struggle with this. We, we, we are saved by faith, but then we, we immediately go back to some of those old sort of ingrained religious practices of trying to earn it. How am I doing with God today? Well, let's check my track record, Right? This is one I learned years ago. People would ask me, how's your relationship with God? And I'd say, well, not really doing my devotions very much. And I, I guess I'm, you know, I'd start talking about me. And uh, so then if somebody who wasn't a Christian asked me a similar question, they wouldn't ask me, how's your relationship with God? That's not something that would happen. But they might ask me, what's this God stuff all about? I would, I would be on the other side of the coin and say, oh, it's awesome. God, he, God is that friend who will always be there with you. He, he loves you. Um, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, he sticks closer than a brother. Uh, he's a, like, I just go into all the amazing things about God. So when I talked to someone who wasn't a, a follower of Jesus, I told them about how awesome God was. And when I talked to someone who was a follower of Jesus, I told them how awful I was. But the senior partner in this relationship is not me. The one who makes me righteous is not me. It's him. 
So I'm, what I've tried to do, and I'm not sure if I've succeeded totally, because I'm still as religious as most people are in our human form, we're incurably religious it seems, is I've tried to, why am I telling only people who aren't followers of Jesus about all the benefits of following God? So how are you doing with your relationship with God, Steve? Awesome. Not because I'm awesome, because he's awesome. Because he's awesome. Try that. When someone asks you, how's your relationship with God? Say, oh, amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm righteous. Not because I'm right, not because my track record, not because of my behavior, but because of what Christ did for me. It's amazing. It's amazing. My relationship with God is amazing because of what God did, not because of what I did. And I can't stop praising him and thanking him. And I want to I dig deeper and deeper into knowing the, the depths of this gospel, this good news for me, because it's changing my thinking. It's changing my thinking. Instead of working my whole life to maybe get a passing grade with God through religion, I have been given a position with God. I'm 100% with God. I don't just have a passing grade. I have an A plus, 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 plus with God. And it's because Jesus wrote the paper for me. I have, I, no, it's not only that you have the righteousness of God. The Bible goes further. It says you are the righteousness of God. Incredible. Incredible. When I stand before God, when my life is done, and I stand before God at the judgment seat. I stand in the righteousness that Jesus won for me on the cross. I won't stand clothed in my sin and my failure and my disobedience and my rebellion and my indifference towards God. I won't stand in those things. I'll stand in the righteousness of God. That's exciting. But I keep running into this, and I know it's real. And you might feel this today as you're listening to me. You say, I feel like I've got to get my life fixed first so that he'll accept me. But you'll never get it fixed. The Bible makes it clear. There's no one righteous. And that all, even all of our attempts to be good aren't righteous enough. We'll never live up to the, we'll never give God the glory. We'll never honor God. We'll never live up to his holy standard in our own works, in our own efforts. We need a righteousness that's imputed to us, that's from him to us. So the gospel requires that you accept your desperately hopeless condition as one who will never get it fixed and depend wholly on what Jesus has done. And that righteousness will be imputed to you while you are still, the Bible says, godless. While you're still ungodly. That's what David was rejoicing about. God, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who transgressions are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins the Lord will never count against them. So faith is credited as righteousness. So I remember when I was dating, dating my wife before she was my wife, and uh, I had gone to visit her family 
and uh, she has three younger brothers, and they all wanted to be the guy who interrogated the boyfriend. So, uh, especially the youngest one, who was about 13 at the time. And so it was, it was neat. He's like, I, I want to spend some time with you so we can ask you some questions. It's like, okay. And so he asked me different questions, you know, what did I know about marriage and what did I know about relationships and what were my intentions towards his sister? It was fun, actually. And, but one of the questions he asked was, he goes, how do you know that you're a Christian? And I think what he meant was, how do I know you're a Christian? <laughs> and I said to him, well, I said, uh, because I am trusting in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I'm not trusting in my own righteousness and the good works that I've done. I'm pr- trusting in his righteousness and what he's done for me on the cross. And that there's this exchange where he takes my sin on himself and he gives me his righteousness. I explained that. And he looked at me. Now, it's fun, you know, because he's 13 and I probably just said something that was new. And he looked at me like, oh, like, you know, like, really? That's how you know? Um, there, you know, it's funny. There, the Bible does talk about evidence that you are, that you belong to God. I might talk about that a little bit next week. But right now, I want to talk about the basis for being right with God. Because we can get confused. Sometimes when we get talking about evidence first, then we believe that's the basis, right? Abraham did obey God and go to the promised land, but that did not make him righteous. It was the evidence that he believed God, and it was his belief in God that made him righteous. So one is evidence, and one is the basis. And it's important to get those clear. So I'm talking mostly about the basis today. You know, justification thanks to Abraham and David, has two parts, right? The removing of our sins, that's what David talked about, the removing of our sins from our account and the crediting of God's righteousness to our account. And that's what Abraham, it says about about Abraham. So your records of sins wiped clean and your record of righteousness filled to the brim. Now, could you imagine you go out into your online banking where there's your mortgage and your loans and they're way bigger than what you have for this month, right? I think that's most people's universal experience. At least it's mine. You know, one is way bigger than the other. Can you imagine you go on there one day and all the mortgages and the loans and every debt that you own is gone and it just says zero? That's half of justification. <laughs> the other half is that when you look up at your checking account and it says infinity, It's not just that he's cleansed us from our sins. Our record of righteousness is filled to the brim. And so I want you to have the joy of the Lord as your strength. I want you to be strong. It's designed to lift your burdens and give you joy and make you strong. So blessed are you when your sins are credited to Christ on the cross and your punishment comes upon him. When you realize that this exchange is apart from works and by faith alone. And all you can do to get this is depend on Christ for it. In fact, right now, if you depend on Christ alone for your standing with God, for your righteousness and everything you need in life, God will view you as having all of Christ's righteousness. We live in a world that's reeling out of control. 
talked about war and school shootings. And then there's things that just come into our lives like cancer and financial woes and some of the heartaches that some of you carried into the room this morning. And how do you stand in the face of those things? Well, the gospel is good news that my sins are not mine to bear anymore. And that God's righteousness is mine. And it becomes the foundational truth in the life of the believer. And so when the phone call comes, and whatever news you see online, and whatever happens to your children or your spouse, or whatever happens to your physical body, you're able to stand. You're able to withstand because the joy of being right with God will be a strength to you. I'm not saying you won't feel pain or heartache or, or difficulty. But there will be a strength in you and in your life because of things being well with you, between you and God. So today, I, I'd invite you to, I don't know what's distracting you in your life. I don't know what you've got going on. But I invite you to, to put that aside. Put that aside. I, I don't know even how God is working in people's lives. It's very, I find it very fascinating. I, I realize that maybe even in the worship service, sometimes people might just come to that moment where they suddenly realize, I believe this. Maybe it's when you're hearing the word of God being read, you suddenly go, wait a second, I believe. Or maybe it's when you get an opportunity to respond that something you recognize is happening in your heart and you're saying, wait a second, I believe. But the, the invitation is the same, is that we are loved by God. We need what he's done for us. Our sinful state is clear in, in, the, in the Bible that we can't save ourselves. And it's not a... It's not a a matter of adding up your good works and then subtracting your bad behavior and hoping there's something left. It's looking to Jesus. In fact, in Romans it says, those who call on the name of the Lord, those who cry out for God in their sinful state, that they will be saved. That this gospel is mighty to save People in any situation, no matter what you're, how, much, how stained you are by, by sin and selfishness in your life, no matter where you've gone, no matter how dark it's got, it is mighty to save. This gospel is mighty to save. Just look to Jesus. Look to what he's done for you. And believe. Receive the gift of being made right with God by faith. By just trusting in what he's done for you. That it was necessary for him to go to the cross, but it was also enough to cleanse you of your track record. It's enough to break that dominating power of sin over your life. It's enough to make you new, to make you new in him. See, God isn't just trying to uh, be, uh, modify behavior. He's making men and women new. And he wants to make you brand new in him today. So if you're hearing what I'm saying today and you're sensing that it's not just listening to me, but you're sensing that God is moving in you and there's some 
a little bit of faith welling up there to believe, then just respond. Call out to God. You can do that in the, in the interior, just right inside of you, just saying, God, yes, yes, I want to be yours. I want to be your child. I want to be your son, your daughter. I want to be made new. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you right now. And you know humanity's track record. You know that we're a part of it. You know we were born into sin, into a tendency to make this life all about us. And we can't seem to shake it on our own. And you have made it clear in your word that we're, there's no way out of this just by racking up good deeds. It'll never be enough. But you did everything. You did everything that was necessary so we could be right with you. So God, we're looking to you. We're looking to you right now. In fact, we're calling on you right now. God, if there's anyone in the room right now that they're saying, I know that I'm not, I, I haven't been right with God. I pray in the, in the interior of their hearts or in their thoughts, there just be a whisper towards you and saying, God, yes, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. Save me from the guilt of my sin. I want to be, I want to be saved from the wrath of God that I deserve. And I want the gift of salvation that I don't deserve, but that you're offering right now. And so I, I receive. I receive. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. <clears throat> I receive your leadership and your guidance. The word of God says to as many as received him. To those who believed, he gave the power to become children of God. Yeah. Jesus, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for what you did for us. Help us understand the depths of it. I'm just praying now for the Christians in the room, those who followed you. Lord, maybe we started our, our, uh, our path of faith with you, but we didn't put down very deep roots. Maybe the cares of the world got us led astray. We don't want to be those ones who are uprooted because we don't have a deep gospel rooting in our lives. And so, God, would you take us deeper into the gospel? We want what Nehemiah said. We want the joy of the Lord for what he's done for us to be strength in us to withstand things. We want it to be a bedrock truth and reality so that whatever comes, we are not blown away. But that we can stand because you're the rock we're building our lives on. So, Lord, take us deeper into the gospel. Take us deeper into the truths of what you've done. Take us deeper into who you are for us. We ask these things in your name. Well, the Bible gives us fuel to worship. Scripture gives us fuel to worship, and so we've got 
a chance to do that here. So I hope that something out of what has been shared, out of the scriptures this morning, is something you can take to God as we begin to worship together, to thank him, to express your gratitude towards him. All the blessing God has poured into your life, but especially the blessing of you being made righteous through faith. Let's praise him now. Would you stand as we sing? I've had good days, I've had bad days, tasted victory and defeat. I've had problems, big as planets, turned to pebbles when you speak. I've had nothing to my name. Never lacked for anything Cause you were there with me You've been my savior, sustainer When I'm at my end My healer, redeemer Again and again My mother and my father Brother, sister and friend Everything I needed Yeah.
we have the results of the vote. The number of votes cast, including advanced online ballots, 172. Votes in favor, 149. Votes against, 23. This represents an 86.6 positive response. And with this mandate, we will go ahead with the capital campaign. Thank you for your involvement and your assistance in giving direction for this church. May God bless you. Yes, thank you for praying, thank you for discerning, and thank you for participating. It's an incredible thing to walk together as a church, isn't it? And um, thank you for, for this. <clears throat> I just have a few announcements in closing here. Uh, today, we were going to have a barbecue at the park, but we've postponed it. It's uh, Supposedly, it's rainy and cold. I haven't personally checked the forecast myself, but that's what I've heard. So we're, we're postponing it to Father's Day, so hopefully... Father's Day, when we all get new ties, we can go hang out in the park. Um, also, I wanted to point out tonight at uh, uh, First Free Methodist Church at 7 o'clock, there's a hymn sing, and it's a fundraiser for an organization that we all love, and that's the Moose Jaw Christian Counseling Center. So it's, you can bring a free will offering or donation, and it's a hymn sing at First Free Methodist at 7. So another great way to support a great organization that really blesses Moose Jaw. So come on out and support the Moose Jaw Christian Counseling Center through that. And then at 2.30 this afternoon, there will be the celebration of life for Todd Beatty. So we're going to be uh, here again. So we're actually asking that as we finish today, we'll leave a little bit quicker into the parking lot today because we need to set things up for our funeral at 2.30. So, oh, I've got one more. Forgot, almost forgot. Next week, we're going to take up a special offering for Kettleston Camp. We want to bless Kettleston Camp next week with our giving. So I think that's it. God bless you. Have an incredible week. Thank you.